huge assumption, Daniel, that I'm going to be able to use the clicker. I, I messed it up in the first service, and I may do the same in this service, but somehow we will survive. We will do a test run right now. Yes, it worked. Awesome. That's good. It is good to be here today, and once again, I want to thank you for uh, your support of Mission to Russia. I also want to thank you for the encouragement that you've given Daniel and Lindsay and now Micah through the years. Uh, it is great uh, to know that uh, my children have a uh, healthy church home that they can be a part of. Well, today we are going to look at 1 Corinthians as we continue our flying tour through the books of uh, the Bible. And uh, as we think about that, I have a public service announcement to make, and that is that this Tuesday at the Fox Theater, Jesus Christ Superstar will begin a two-week run of performances uh, downtown in uh, the city. This is uh, a musical which goes back to my young adult years in the 70s. If you were present in that very interesting decade, you know that during that time, Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell were two Broadway musicals which attempted to present the life of Christ to uh, a secular American audience. Now, I'm not going to go into great depth in critiquing those musicals today, except to say that they did produce some pretty good music. And probably, possibly, the most famous song out of all of the music in those two musicals came from Godspell, a very simple song which was entitled Day by Day. goes something like this. I will not sing it to you today. I will spare your ears that pain. Day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, Follow thee more nearly, day by day. Now, I want you to know, as a young preacher growing up in the 70s, that virtually all young preachers viewed that song as God's special gift to them. Because in that song, you had a perfectly worded outline for a three-point topical sermon on the essence of the Christian life. Your sermon was basically written for you. All you had to do was flesh it in. Now, I'm not going to critique the sermons that arose out of this song from back in the day, only to suggest that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians probably has a much better, much more perfectly worded three-point sermon 
which summarizes the essence of our walk with Christ in this book that we're going to study today. And that's found in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. At the conclusion of the love chapter, Paul says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, my friends, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 is probably the most memorable passage in the New Testament in which faith, hope, and love are grouped together. But it is definitely not the only passage where those virtues are spoken of in the same context. And here are some of the passages in the New Testament where these three virtues are mentioned in the same immediate context. You can see that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of Paul's books, seven of Paul's books, excuse me, speak of these three virtues as being foundational in the Christian life. On top of that, there are many, many passages where Paul in his letters discusses one or two of these virtues which out, without mentioning the third. If you take all of that as a whole, I think it is safe to say that as far as Paul was concerned, faith, hope, and love were dispositions, attitudes, which were to be woven into the life of every Christian and every church. And of all the books that we have listed on the screen, 1 Corinthians may be the most extensive in talking about the interrelationship between faith, hope, and love. And in the time that we have available today, I want us to take uh, the opportunity to look at what Paul says about these three Christian virtues which abide uh, by God's grace in our life. So now abide faith, hope, and love. And first of all, I would like you to know, my friends, that God desires that we live by faith in Christ. And 1 Corinthians teaches very uh, forthrightly that God, by His grace, God can save anyone who puts their faith in Christ. And if any church is a great example that God can save anyone, it is the Corinthian church because it was a church that had issues. And uh, before we get into what Paul has to say, we need to talk a little bit about the Corinthian church and see the issues uh, that they had in their culture and in their church. Uh, to give you a little bit of a summary, Corinth was a city of 100 to 200,000 people uh, located on the Isthmus 
between mainland Greece and the Peloponnesian Peninsula. It was uh, a short distance, I think 45 to 50 miles from Athens. In the first century, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Corinth was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia, which is particularly mentioned in 2 Corinthians. And it was an important commercial and cultural center. In fact, in the first century, it was a more important city than Athens. It was wealthy, it had a diverse population, and it was also spiritually and morally corrupt. Because in addition to everything else, it was a center to idolatry in the Roman world. The temple, the main sanctuary for the goddess of love, Aphrodite, was found there in Corinth. And to serve in that temple, there were approximately 1,000 priestesses who ministered to the worshipers who came to the temple of Aphrodite. Not going to go too much farther with that right now. I think you can fill in the blanks there. Let me just say one other thing. And that is that the city of Corinth was so corrupt that throughout the Roman world, the term Corinthian girl was the equivalent in the first century to our term hooker today. I guess you could say that anyone who lived in Corinth was living in sin city. And Paul came to that very sinful city in 51 AD during his second missionary journey, and he preached there for 18 months. That was the second longest period of ministry that he had in any one city as far as the book of Acts is concerned. And the church was established at that time. Now, some of the converts in Corinth were Jewish coming out of the synagogue. But by far, the vast majority of converts in Corinth were Gentiles. They came out of the Roman and Greek segments of society. Many of them had some knowledge of Jewish spirituality and morality, and they would have brought that to their new Christian experience. But very possibly, many of them did not. And certainly, everyone who was converted to Christ during that 18-month period that Paul was there had in the back of their minds and in the depths of their heart and soul the assumptions and attitudes that were present in the prevailing Corinthian culture. And that was going to present problems ultimately for the Corinthian church. Well, after 18 months, Paul leaves Corinth to continue his missionary efforts. 
And when he left Corinth and when the church was left on its own, some of the old attitudes and practices began to raise their ugly head. And that's why the Corinthian church is known as the troubled church that we see in 1 Corinthians. Two or three years passed, and the troubles began to multiply to the point that the elders of the Corinthian church decided that they needed to write a letter to Paul to get his advice on what they should do about certain issues that they were facing. 1 Corinthians is the letter that Paul wrote in response to that letter from the church. And when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he really gave the Corinthians more than they asked for. Because Paul had his own contacts. And he knew that the letter which the Corinthian leaders had sent had only scratched the surface of the problems that were present in Corinth. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians, and for the first six chapters, he addresses issues which the Corinthians leaders were too ashamed to bring up to the Apostle Paul. It's only in chapter 7 that he begins responding formally to the letter which the Corinthians had written him. Now, uh, as we look at Paul's response to uh, the Corinthians, as he begins to mediate in the problems that they have, I think his approach is very interesting. And actually, Daniel, in the passage that he read, uh, addressed some of those issues in his meditation. And I like to read the passage that he read uh, again. In 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 9, Paul says this as he begins to address the issues, the problems that the Corinthian church are facing. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now Daniel's already broken down that passage in a very fine way earlier in uh, the service today. Let me just add a little bit to what he had to say. As I was studying this out this last week, it struck me that given all the problems that the Corinthian church has and all that Paul is going to have to deal with, Paul's words here in chapter 1 are relatively mild. In verse 2, a passage that I didn't read, 
read, he refers to them as saints. More than that, as you look at uh, verses 4 through 9, Paul thanks God for the grace that he has shown the Corinthian church, and he expresses his confidence that God will sustain them guiltless until they stand before Jesus on the day of days. Given the problems, what Paul has to say is surprisingly positive. I also think it's very interesting to contrast what Paul says here to what he is going to say to the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 1, and you'll see that in a couple of weeks. I would encourage you to read Galatians 1, 6 through 9, uh, when you get home today, Paul's words to the great Galatians are quite different. He is much harsher with them uh, almost immediately without any complimentary salutation. He takes them to the woodshed. And the reason for that was that the Galatians were in danger of rejecting the gospel for a return to Jewish legalism. And that really concerned the Apostle Paul. And so he addresses that immediately in Galatians. We don't see that sort of tone here in Corinthians. It doesn't seem like Paul saw the same level of danger with the Corinthians as he saw with the Galatians. Now that doesn't minimize the problems that the Corinthian church had. They were a dysfunctional church. But it just demonstrates that their foundation of faith was still relatively strong. They were hanging on to Jesus. In fact, really, the only faith issue which Paul has to address in 1 Corinthians comes up in chapter 15 when he addresses the fact that some of the Corinthians were questioning whether the resurrection actually occurred. Now, at that point, as we're going to see a little bit in the sermon, Paul got deadly serious with the Corinthians because that was very possibly the critical issue which shaped the gospel as he preached it in the Corinthian church. Uh, but other than that, uh, uh, no extensive faith issues were present in uh, the Corinthian church. I find it very interesting as we look at chapter one, and as we look at chapter 15, that at the beginning and the end of his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul affirms the faith that the church is supposed to stand firm in to his brothers and sisters at Corinth. The church in Corinth was standing firm. 
in that faith. And so even though there were significant dysfunctions in the church, Paul was content that God was still at work in the Corinthian church in a positive way. And uh, from my study this last week, that was one of the major takeaways that I had uh, in this book. I think as we look at what Paul says about faith, we can see that Paul is absolutely convinced that by his grace, God can save anyone who places their faith in Jesus. I think about the statement of Max Lucado. Speaking in regard to prayer, he says this, Our prayers may be awkward, our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our prayers do make a difference. Now, Lucado there is speaking specifically about prayer. But I think we can broaden what he says out to embrace, really, the entire Christian life. There may be times in our walk with Christ where our walk with him is just a little bit awkward. There may be occasions when our spiritual strength seems feeble. But the power of our salvation is in the one who has offered it to us by his grace. And because God is faithful, we can be content that even in the midst of all of our struggles, as we place our trust in Christ, God will see us through to the end. The Corinthian church, with all of its issues, is a great example that God can save anyone who places their faith in Christ. God expects us to walk by faith. Let's move on. So now faith, hope, and love abide. And a second truth which we see in 1 Corinthians is that God desires that we share the love of Christ. And 1 Corinthians teaches us very strongly that God wants us as his children to grow up into maturity in Christ by loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and by loving our neighbor as ourselves. My friends, God loves us as we are, but he does not want us to stay the way we are. He wants us to grow up and be mature Christians. And that was his call to the Corinthian church. Now, here's where we get into all the problems that the Corinthian church faced. And given what I've said earlier, I've divided it up into two, two sections. There's so many problems the Corinthian church faced 
that I couldn't put it all on one PowerPoint slide. In chapters 1 through 6, here we've got all the problems that the Corinthian leaders were ashamed to mention to Paul. Divisions, quarreling, jealousy, strife, sexual immorality, arrogance, boasting, and Christians were suing one another. And Paul addresses those in chapters 1 through 6. And then in chapter 7 through really chapter 15, Paul addresses some of the questions that the Corinthian leaders had uh, when they sent him that letter. And they had some weighty issues there. There were questions about marriage and divorce, uh, questions about meat sacrifice to idols, question about prayer. They couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right. There were questions about spiritual gifts, and ultimately, as we've already mentioned, there were questions about the resurrection of the dead. And issue by issue, Paul deals with each of these in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, we can't deal with those in the 10 to 12 minutes that I've got left in my sermon time today. Let me just suggest to you that you can take all of these issues and virtually all of them can be boiled down to one central problem or two central problems. Pride and self-centeredness. If you look at all the issues that there are, that there have been on the screen, it all comes down to the fact that as the Corinthians approach their life, their fundamental question was, what's in this for me? And we see that particularly as once again, we look at the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. In verses 10 through 12, Paul addresses the issue of division in the church. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, I want you to look very carefully at those last statements where Paul quotes the various parties in the Corinthian church. And I want you to know that the various groups in the church were not attempting to exalt Paul or Apollos or Cephas or Christ. They were attempting to build themselves up. And I've tried to emphasize that by the way I read the passage. And if you note doesn't come through quite as clear as I wanted it to. Uh, the I in each of those expressions is a little bit different color because that's where the emphasis is in the way that Paul writes the sentence out. The Corinthian church was divided because they were proud and self-centered. 
And if you try to diagnose virtually every problem in the book, it can be traced back to that same unhealthy root. And so Paul deals with each problem in turn. But then finally, when he gets to the issue of spiritual gifts and the divisiveness of the church over how the Holy Spirit was using respective members in the church, it's then that Paul deals with the heart issue. And we read that in one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. The love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. At the end of chapter 12, Paul says this, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, there's a lot that I could say about all of that that's on the screen right now. But let me just point out one thing. If you look in verse 5, third line down on the PowerPoint, Paul simply says that love is not self-seeking. And that's where Paul got to the heart of the issue in terms of what was going on in the Corinthian church. Like we said earlier, their fundamental approach in Corinth, both in the culture and in the church, was what's in it for me? And Paul says they've got the kingdom turned upside down when they take that approach. The question that people who love the Lord and who love their neighbor as themselves ask is, what can I do for others? And I think we all realize that. I think that's Christianity uh, 101. But it really is the answer which Paul supplied to all the Corinthians' problems. And I really think as we look at what's going on in uh, our culture and in uh, the church today, this one issue is critical for us as well. Now, as I think about that, I'm reminded what Loyal Gallier, the first graduate of St. Louis Christian College, uh, said in a sermon that I heard him preach one time. He talked about advice that he was giving to his daughters as they began to date. 
And he said, someday, a young man is going to look you in the eyes and smile and say, I love you. And then Gallier went on to say this to his daughters. When he says that, he may not actually be saying, I love you. What he may be meaning is, I love me and I want you. And his daughters needed to remember that as they dated. I think it's pretty good advice for father. I think it really goes beyond dating, though. I think as we look at our culture today, we can see that oftentimes love is a word we use, not a virtue which we implement into our lives. And so let me just remind you of what the Apostle John says in the other John 3.16 of the Bible, 1 John 3.16. Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and truth. And may that be what people in our society see in us as a body of believers and as individuals. So now abide faith, hope, and love. And God desires that we walk the path of love. He also desires that as we face all the challenges of life, that we focus our hope on Christ. And as we look at the last of these virtues in 1 Corinthians and in Paul's letters, I think we can see that 1 Corinthians teaches us that whatever our struggles may be, the best is yet to come. It has been my dubious honor in my years of ministry to witness and sadly to be involved in a number of church fights. I'm not going to go into all the gory details about those right now. But let me just suggest that in any church fight, there are usually at least three groups involved. Number one and number two, there are the warring parties, whatever the issue might be. Whether it's, I am of Paul, I am of Christ, or whatever the issue might be, there's always the warring parties that are firing at one another. And that's usually what we think about. But there's always a third group involved as well. And that's the people that are caught in the middle and are getting fired at by both sides. Now, my friends, as I look at 1 Corinthians, I think that was probably the case with the Corinthian church. As we move beyond the principal characters in the problems that the Corinthian church was facing, there were probably any number of simple believers in the church who were heartbroken by the problems that had arisen in their church and who may have been wondering if the Christian life was really worth it. 
Well, as Paul concludes the book of Corinthians, he addresses those people. And he encourages them by telling them that there's a better day coming. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Daniel, I did pretty well right up to the end. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a better day coming for the Corinthians and for us, whatever the challenges are that they faced and that we are facing. My friends, the best is yet to come. Now, having said all that, having laid out the hope of the gospel before us, This is Paul's bottom line for the Corinthians and for us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to work for you, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. I thank you that you, by your grace, you have given us a faith to believe, that you've shown us a love that cannot be equaled, and that you've given us a hope for all of eternity. Father, I thank you so very much for the work that you have done through your grace and love in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to be steadfast in walking the paths of faith, hope, and love. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.